Hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Fries, and you are listening to What the Fuck? Where we talk about topics that have caused so much damage, people don't come to church anymore. I'm the senior pastor of Music of Life Church, Appleton, and I'm joined by the senior pastor of Music of Life Church, Kimberly, Pastor Joel Swakowski. Welcome. How are you? I am assured of my salvation. Ah! (laughs) Yeah, I'm great. I completely agree with you. Yeah. You know what that looks like to me? What's that? I can't remember the last time I had like a season of my walk with God where I was um, even periodically thinking, I wonder if I'm really saved. Mm. I'm so much more focused on what's out ahead of me the path God has in front of me because I'm not having to spend all this time anxious Mm. over. I wonder if I'll really get in. It's removed a thought. Now, is that because you believe in once saved, always saved? No, it's not. But that, that is interesting because that is a belief that tries to do this whole Trump, this Trump card of, Really, it's this human thought process explanation for the assurance of your salvation. So why don't we just talk about it today? Why don't we make today's topic, once saved, always saved? That's great. Awesome. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, let's talk about it. What is the background of the topic of once saved, always saved, Pastor Joel? Okay, so really what we're going to be getting at, and we talked about it, this in the Salvation episodes, What the Flock and Milk podcast, we talked about assurance. I talked about it at the beginning of this episode. Mm-hmm. That's really what we're going to be, that's going to be the meat and potatoes of this episode. Nice. Through the context of this belief of once saved, always saved. Now, we're concluding season two. This is the last episode of season two by looking at, this specific belief about salvation that has caused a lot of confusion. And all we're really talking about in this episode is if it's possible to lose your salvation. Now, in the What the Flock Salvation episode, Pastor Tater, his call was, I mean, his calls have been amazing. Right? He's been adding a lot. Yes, brought up predestination, which was something we didn't even talk about. So here's an example. Pastor Tater crushing it with the restoration process, crushing it with his humility and really getting a hold of the foundational non-contradictory doctrine of what God's word is really about. And we're seeing him add to these, these episodes. And he talked about this topic with God predestining people to be saved regardless of what they do. Another way this is referred to as is the election, right? God unilaterally or pre or foreordains an elect amount of people that he's choosing to go to heaven. Mm. But ultimately what we see is due to a flawed view of salvation, people believe that once you're saved, you can never lose your salvation. 
So how have people been hurt by this topic in the church? Well, since people lack a non-contradictory explanation of salvation, they feel unsettled. And when they feel unsettled, they wonder, like I was saying earlier, if they're really saved. Which they should. If they have a flawed view of salvation, these people should be wondering if they're really saved. Wow. But their goal, the conflict, the issue the, becomes what their goal is. Because the goal now becomes feeling saved mm, feeling saved yeah instead of understanding the non-contradictory explanation of salvation which would help them know they're saved and feel they're saved so notice we're not saying it's not important for you to feel saved the issue would be if that's all your goal is is to feel saved mm. Because you can feel something based on something that's not objective. But nice. if it's objective, you would know you're saved and the feeling would be there as well. So I can feel like I want ice cream for breakfast. Right. It but might not. <laughs> but I, if I didn't know that that was bad for me and causing me to gain some weight, then I would be in trouble. Right. You know, what's interesting too is a lot of people who not only believe once saved, always saved, they get to this point where a lot of times they don't feel saved. So they want to make sure they are. So what do they do? Every time there's an altar call, they raise their hand. Maybe every week they ask Jesus to be their savior. That was me. That was me growing up, man. Why not? Yeah. I want to make sure I'm covered, dude. Just in case. Just I remember that too. I remember that too growing up at this yep. church, little church here in the Fox Valley. I remember telling it to one of the leaders there. I'm a teacher. I like commentating. I'm like, oh, she's she asked if I was saved. I'm like, oh yeah, I asked Jesus into my heart every week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super saved. I am like super, super, super saved. I got a punch card and everything. Right. But and she says to me, Well, you only have to do it once. You know, once saved, always saved. Mm. And the, I don't know if I responded, but I remember thinking, but why not? Because your explanation doesn't help me feel more saved. And what am I losing by just making sure every week? Mm. So that, that topic is never discussed past the, you only have to do it once. Wow. So this interaction that I had with this this leader when i was a little kid actually touches on the next half of why this is an issue this belief is an attempt to help the person not worry about their salvation so i was worried about it yeah this woman's trying to help me not be worried about it by saying don't worry you only have to do it once once saved always saved the idea is someone said the prayer became born again right i'm saved but later they worry that they're not really saved. Why? Because maybe they're not growing or maybe they are sinning. Maybe they don't understand what the causes of salvation are. However, now they have a contradiction. So if they wanted to feel saved again, they would just do again what they had already done, which is why people get this. You have the side where it's once saved, always saved, only have to do it once. Then you have this other side of why not just pray every day for Jesus to be my savior. Mm. 
but me having to continually pray for Jesus to be my savior proves that my original belief about being saved didn't really stick. Sure. That actually proves I really don't know what salvation is. And it actually really proves I definitely don't have an assurance of salvation. Right. So the issue is really these two sides is one, it's the goal becomes feeling saved, only feeling saved. And two, you know, it's an attempt to help people not worry or be anxious about their salvation. But the problem is that this perspective, once saved, always saved, causes doubt in people as to whether they are actually saved or not. And their focus moves from doing the causes of salvation to convincing themselves that they are one of the elect or predestined children of God, like Pastor Tater was talking about. Nice. Okay. So what does this conflict and issue look like in the church? Well, I mean, you can see a lot of, you know, people, it looks like people being taught once saved, always saved. It looks like people not really understanding what that means and Mm -hmm. people asking for salvation or maybe raising their hand at an altar call every month. But these people try to convince themselves that they are saved because they asked Jesus into their heart and they are doing works, right? They go to church, they pray, they read their Bible, they tithe. I do believe pastor Jonathan, but these people once again are focused on the works as a cause. So that's what this really looks like in the church. Once saved, always saved. I need to prove I'm saved. How? By doing these things. So they're intentionally providing these effects or doing these certain behaviors of salvation in order to convince themselves that they're saved. Why? Because I want this anxious feeling to go away. Mm. However, then the moment I sin, if I believe this, which we know everybody sins, Mm -hmm. I would worry that I must not actually be saved. Now I'm going to spiral out of control and maybe even be abusive to other people because I'm living a contradiction. Nice. So how does someone support the strict perspective with the Bible? I got a whopper here for you, PJ. Oh yeah, bring it. Romans 8. 38 and 39. Let me just read it for you. Yep. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There you go. There's the explanation and the biblical support right there. Oh man, that is, that is, uh, refreshing. Right. So, Hey, you know I've what? heard I, for the past few weeks, it's been, Oh, they can't support it in the Bible. Oh, I know. Right. Right. <laughs> okay, well, re- yeah. Refreshing so I'm, that. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, Oh geez, that's pretty, that's pretty solid. Right? That is a really great, like, oh, And an amazing verse. Whoa. Yeah, Paul's doing his whole contrastive perspective. And really, I mean, it's, it is really poetic. And it's an incredible verse about the love of God. Wow. 
Okay, so someone comes to me with that verse, with that belief, you know, the the once saved, always saved belief. Yeah. How do I defend myself against them? Whoa, that's a really good verse. Maybe you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe that's, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Dang. <That's>, yeah. <laughs> Dang, that's a good verse. Hold on. Let me think about that. Yeah. Ooh. All right. So this is why this, this, this is why we do these podcasts. Nice. Because there's what the Bible says. There's what it means. And then there's the doctrine, the truth that underlies it, regardless of the context. Mm. So what we're trying to help here. So we have laid out a lot of doctrine. Yep. So this is my defense to this. Somebody says, no, once saved, always saved. Joel, look, nothing could separate us from the love of God. I accepted his love. I have his love. It's in me. Now nothing yep. can separate us. Right. I've, and I've had debates over this. I've actually had debates over this exact passage. And it was used in a debate over once saved, always saved. Uh-huh. I responded to this pastor and said, Mm. yeah, it was a pastor. Mm. So I say to this pastor, do you know what is not in the list? And he's, he looked at me and he said, no, I mean, what? I said, me, I'm not in that list. It doesn't say I can't separate myself from the love of God. In fact, I can separate myself from the love of god this pastor's response he accused me of adding to the bible huh now i'm saying what's not listed here not what should be added so i responded and said okay then in the future you're never going to commentate on what a verse means then right And I got nothing in response to that. Wow. But that's so specifically, if this verse is used, that would be my defense. But let's get to the doctrine of this a little bit more, right? Cool. Because that that was that was an example of really of what and why. Let's get let's get to the doctrine. And we have a great example from scripture that to support this as well. How would you describe Solomon's life? Amazing. Right. I mean, and, and he, yeah. Well, I mean, it's such a great story. We have a lot of information about him, which is great because there's so many people in the Bible we'd love more information about. Like, come on. Like, how about a little more about Enoch? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I should say, you know, in my in my uh, answer about Solomon, you know, how would I describe Solomon's life? It depends on which part of his life we we're going to talk. We want to talk right. about. And that's really what I'm going to be bringing up now. because. Oh, cool a lot of people will talk about his early life yeah, and his kind of like middle life. Yeah. Not many people want to preach about how his life ended. Mm. We know Solomon started in such a great place. Amazing. Relying on and living out the wisdom of God. Yeah. Yet we see that generations of people were affected by how his life ended. Because he was turned away from God, 
being drawn towards other gods, even building idols to those gods. His heart was turned away from Jehovah. And what we can see through scriptures is Solomon ended his life, a man who did walk with God and had wisdom from God, ended his life away from God. Once saved, always saved. So the real issue here, Mm. people want to feel like they're saved. Yeah. But the question that we should be asking instead of, can I lose my salvation? Why are we spending so much time discussing, can I lose my salvation? (laughs) This all gets dissolved if we ask and answer the question, how do I know if I'm really saved? Nice. Here's here's the thing. Because if I can lose my salvation, well, I ought to know what salvation is so I can actually be assured of my salvation. If I can't lose my salvation, the same is true. I ought to know what salvation is so I can be assured of my salvation. Either way, the more important question is, how do I know if I'm really saved? And it's a question that many Christians either don't have the answer to, they have the wrong answer to, or they don't want to discuss it at all. Wow. Oh, man. So the question people ought to be asking is what again, Pastor Joel? Say, say it again. How do I know if I'm really saved? How do I know I'm really saved? Or a question like um, maybe more in the language of our What the Flock and Milk podcast that we would say is, what's the measure for salvation? Yeah, what's the proof? Yeah. Right, it's the proof, yeah. Awesome. So to summarize the strict perspective, people want to believe if they profess they're Christian and have the works of a Christian, that there's nothing they can do to lose that salvation. Correct. And even okay. to the to the point where these people would say, so honestly, a response I've heard to this, even like with the Solomon issue is, well, he was never really saved. Right. Which then though gets back to what again? What's the measure What's, yep. of your salvation? Yep. So yeah, that's a great summary of the strict side though. So good. Cool. Well, before we go to the loose side, let's take a call from Pastor Richard Tater. PRT. In the house. Part, party in the house. <laughs> I get. All right, Pastor Tater. I got you on the line. Go ahead. Pastor Joel and Pastor Jonathan, this is Pastor Richard Tater. I am the pastor of the largest church in McMillan, Alabama, so I do have somewhat to say upon the matter of once saved, always saved. Now, I used to live a life of bombastic depression. I would wonder why I didn't feel as saved as my mentors seemed to feel. And then I would have summoned up that fire in my belly and show my congregation the ferocity of my commitment to God. Afterwards, people would ask me how to feel as saved as I did. 
And that's when I thought I had finally achieved salvation. Ding, 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 gentlemen. But it never lasted. Gentlemen, it is my pleasure to announce I have completed the restoration course. And it has changed my life, my marriage, and my outlook for the future. I am ready for repair. Holy cow. Wow. Well, Pastor Taylor, that's great news. Thank you for adding so much to our season two episodes. We definitely hope that you're going to continue to call during season three. Yeah, thanks, PT. Oh, can I can you call can I call you PT? Pastor Tater, it's been a pleasure getting to know you more this season. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, y'all can call me PT. That's fine. Yeah, y'all, y'all can do that. That's great. You know, you know, take care, gentlemen. You know, it's been it's been a pleasure. I hope to be talking to y'all soon. Uh, as always, this was my favorite podcast. God bless. Wow. Thank you so much, Pastor Tater. What a call. Pastor Joel, what are your thoughts about that? Oh, he's done with restoration. That's amazing. <laughs> Holy cow. Congrats, Pastor Tater. That's a, a great accomplishment. And he requested repair. Now, you know, what we've done at our churches with refuge restoration repair being our mission is we do have a process for each of those. And and generally, when a person finishes restoration, we give them the opportunity or the option of stepping into the repair process, which not only helps reinforce and continue to live out the restoration principles that they've been taught, but continues to help these people excel in who God created them to be, not only as individuals, but also as part of a community, as part of a body. So I'm excited to see what, what's in the future for Pastor Tater. Awesome. As am I. So Pastor Joel, we've covered the strict side. Now let's cover the loose side. What is the other side of this argument? The loose side of this once saved, always saved topic is, well, if God has decided who is saved, then you can't tell who is actually saved until they die. Like if the measure for salvation is God chooses, you won't really know if you're chosen until you die. Hmm. And the proof of this is you're a person who hasn't really done any of the quote unquote big sins. So basically I'm a Christian because God chose me. And my proof is, well, I haven't killed anybody. You know, I haven't murdered. I haven't done any of the big sins. So that's enough to kind of get you off my back about whether or not I'm really saved. Wow. So how have, how have people been hurt by that perspective? Well, again, this leaves people with no objective measure for if they're saved. Yeah. And they're essentially saying we can't tell who is saved until they die. And they haven't done any of the big sins. Because there, you know, there is a sin that's unforgivable the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, which I'm not even going to get into what that means now, but there are sins that the church treats as if they're unforgivable. Mm. 
There are sins that people commit that cause the church to completely excommunicate these people. There are certain sins and, you know, for example, if, you know, we use for an extreme example, killing someone, but there are other sins that maybe it's not a written rule, but there are these unwritten rules that if you do one of these quote unquote big sins, you're proven you're not a Christian. And, and unfortunately how this hurts people in the church is it's preventing people from taking the steps to actually get saved. Wow. So how would you handle an interaction with someone who held the loose perspective? Okay. So if you're saying you're saved and your proof is because you say so, and because God chose you, you're essentially saying, I feel like I'm a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have any objective standard. My standard is I feel like it. Well, what if I feel like you're not? Would that make it true? Mm. So why does your feelings make it true, but mine don't? Nice. If we go, and then if we want to go down the big sins route... I mean, if a person does actually commit a murder, are they prevented from being saved? One of these big sins are preventing people from getting saved. I would say a man who's, who's you know, who God says was after his own heart, who murdered and committed adultery. You know, that's great because we love to tell the story of how David is this ragtag guy who we can all connect with because he committed adultery and he committed murder and yet God loved him. But we don't look close enough at his story to see that the actual measure for salvation is in there as well. Mm -hmm. The word, the word says, though your sins are scarlet, they will be washed white as snow. So that would be some of my response to this person. But you're right. The David, the David example is so good. We can unpack that a little bit more once we get to the ultimate answer here. That's awesome. So when you see this going on in the church, Pastor Joel, this once saved, always saved, and both of these, these sides, what are your thoughts? Oh, it's frustrating. Um, I, I, try to, I try to take yeah. my own experience and damage in this area out of the equation because it does frustrate me um i think primarily because not not just because i believe it's wrong but because it is hurting people once again it's given people this excuse to not really know if they're saved but you know we see these three categories of people as it relates to this topic of once saved always saved there's the people I feel sorry for who are the people who fight to believe this. Like the pastor I had the interaction with. Right. Does not matter of any of the contradictions that I expose or how I expose them. Cause I even did it through questions and did it really lovingly. He fought for once saved, always saved regardless of the contradictions. And what I'm seeing and why I feel sorry for him is 
I'm seeing a guy who's trying to convince himself of his assurance of salvation through a man-made doctrine instead of having his assurance through what the word of God shows us we should be assured of our salvation by. And these people can end up depressed the way Pastor Tater had been. Yeah. There's the people I understand why they believe what they believe. I understand why they do what they do. People who know once saved, always saved, can't be right. Yet it's all they've been taught. These people may want to be assured of their salvation, yet they just don't know what the objective measure is. So these people tend to be frustrated because they want the right answer, but they're not getting it. Mm -hmm. And I've met people like this. You know, there's people who've been prevented from the information that we're even teaching through these podcasts through various persecutions that our church and community has experienced over the years. Yeah. And one of the things, the more and more we help people with this information, one of the things we're seeing happen more and more often is people who finally get access to this information are starting to get frustrated and angry that they've been prevented from this information for so many years. Those are people I understand why they do what they do. They're searching for information, but that information is being blocked from them through various sources. Then there's the people I'm impressed with. Those are people who know what the measure for salvation is and that it's actually the same as fundamental Christianity. So how do, we, how do I respond when I'm wrong? Or how do I respond to the sin in my life? When a Christian sins, they confess and repent. And like I said in the salvation episode, I could even see that the first time a person does this is their born again experience. Yes, yeah. We also know that Christians sin. We talked about this in the sin episode. Right. So that would mean that a Christian would continue to confess and repent even after they become born again. So they do something so they do something wrong and they would still respond by confessing and repenting. Right. Which would not, not just when I ask Jesus into my heart or whatever uh, that looks like. So it's, uh, it's any type of wrong that they do. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So we are at the ultimate answer. What is the ultimate answer in the once saved, always saved topic, pastor Joel? Salvation is a process. Mm. We can be sure of our salvation by understanding the causes of salvation by growing in grace and faith, which we talked about in the last episode. So when we, because when we're talking about once saved, always saved, what we're getting down to is, and, and you mentioned earlier, being confident or being assured in our salvation. Yes. These are, these are methods that people have used, flawed methods that don't, you know, to try to feel or be confident in their salvation. Right. So once saved, always saved is like, don't worry. I you're did saved. it. Yes, you did saved. it one time. You're good. 
So I'm trying to help you feel better. Yep. But that doesn't give me the measure. Right. So let's get a little bit more specific here because yep. there's a really specific measure we can get. And we'll pull David back into the mix here. Too. Awesome. First, Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this does not contradict First John that says we should be insured or assured of our salvation. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling doesn't mean I'm not sure of it. In fear, I could even say with respect, make mm. it a priority, right? With reverence. I love it. Nice. I ought to be working out. Think of it as exercise, getting better at the process of salvation. Now, because, so I'll just say it, you can lose your salvation. Once saved, always saved is a man-made doctrine that is just, even in what it is, is flawed. Unless I was to explain it like this. Well, we're not actually saved until judgment day, right? Mm. So I could. that's the time that I can't lose it anymore. Right. Judgment day. But we are saved now and assured of that salvation that will happen in the future. We believe it because of faith. Where we stand on this side of the ju of judgment day, once saved, always saved, is flawed. Mm. I can lose my salvation. And salvation is lost through intentional sin. So Hebrews 10, 26 and 27 says this. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. So what this is looking at is this person knows they're sinning and is not handling their sin the way that we're required to as Christians. So, you know, we talked, that's why it's important to understand what sin is. Anything done apart from faith. Right. So what this is saying, someone who sins willfully is they're doing something wrong that they know is wrong. So my experience and understanding tells me doing this thing is wrong. Right. And I go and do it. You go and do it and you don't do anything to make up for it even when you're confronted by it. Uh, that's a lot of steps. It is. And this is why our response to our sin determines if we're saved or not so what's the measure what's the proof of salvation how do i know i'm really saved i ought to ask myself how do i respond to my sin do i confess and repent when i'm wrong do i confess and repent when i sin and if that's true then i'm a christian then i'm mm. saved and that's the part of david's story that these people miss mm. David was a man after God's own heart, which meant he understood God well enough to know what God really cares about to the point where he knows God cares more about our growth than anything. Yeah. 
He cares more about our growth than if we do something wrong. So the proof then that David is a man after God's own heart is that when David was confronted in his sin, he always confessed and repented for it. That's the part of David's story that's actually the most powerful and the most applicable. Yeah, it's great. We can all connect to this great hero of scripture because he was a sinner and God forgave him and God loved him. But what's the part of the story that's the most powerful for us today is to take a cue from King David and how he handled his sin. Dude. That's the measure for salvation. How do I respond to my sin? Do I confess and repent? Thank you, Pastor Joel. This has been What the Flock. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, if you've been hurt by church, you're not alone. We're here for you.